Welcome to Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Miller, your host. Thank you to our sponsor, Farm to Plate, a software company committed to creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today. Our guest for the podcast today has a really great concept to share with you, our audience, and I'm very excited to bring him on. He has a lot that he is doing. His name is Bryce Flewellen, and he is the executive consultant for the social equity franchise and philanthropy at Every Table. Welcome to the podcast, Bryce. Thank you, Pamela. Great to be here. Yeah, we, we're excited to have you and unpack all the things you have going on. First of all, we'll, we'll get into the title in a minute, what that social equity franchise is, but Every Table was founded on a really unique mission, if you could share that with our audience. Yes, Every Table is a social enterprise for-profit whose mission is to make nutritious food affordable and accessible for all. We believe that healthy food is a human right and should not be a luxury product, and so we operate in that way. All of our meals are made fresh every day by chefs uh, and are priced between six to nine dollars. That's six to nine dollars for a chef prepared meal that's made fresh every day. And then Pamela, we took it a step further because we understood some of the obstacles that uh, people, particularly in underserved neighborhoods, have in eating healthier. And so we created a tiered pricing model. So the same meal that you would get in a more affluent neighborhood is going to be a dollar or more more expensive than in a lower income neighborhood. So in a higher income neighborhood, the meals are six to nine dollars, lower income neighborhood, five to seven uh, to really provide value wherever we have locations in whatever communities we're in. Well, and you're you're getting into more and more communities, but let's back up on that founding principle, because you have these chef prepared meals. I guess your founder though started out just seeing the need for this. How did he even start it up? Yeah, and this is actually back to when we first met. So he he was a former hedge fund trader uh, in New York, but from Los Angeles, uh, left that world and wanted to do something more purpose-driven. Actually, I think the impetus of it was uh, reading some books written by Taylor Branch about the civil rights movement, specifically freedom riders, and just their commitment uh, and courage and sacrifice um, in creating a more just world, right? They were getting on buses and going to locations where in a lot of cases they were facing death. Uh, And so that was the impetus of kind of like a a conscious decision for him to leave Wall Street, come back to LA. uh, And then he binged on some food documentaries and really started to learn about some of the issues that people face specific all over this country, but specifically here in Los Angeles, I'm accessing a healthier food, started a nonprofit called Feast. Uh, Feast brought together parents in South LA, where the average income can be, medium income, excuse me, could be about $20,000. And they would come together once a week for six months uh, and really learn about eating healthier, cooking healthier, but then also discuss all the obstacles that they were facing, leading a healthier life, access, affordability, uh, working two or three jobs. And so what they said, Pamela, is that, hey, we love eating healthier, learning how to eat healthier, kale, tomatoes, all these things, but it's not in our community in abundance. What is in our community is fast food and then also you know, liquor stores with processed food. But that particular food, we know it's unhealthy, but it's cheap and it's quick and we need something we don't necessarily have the time to cook. Uh, and so that was kind of the, another impetus of 
of the creation of every table, right? So creating a model that can compete with fast food, but uh, um, healthier prices and obviously healthier food. Yes. And I think something that's really unique, you know, other organizations have tried to help underserved areas. Uh, One of the things that you said was that, you know, we know it's not good for us, but, and, and I think a lot of people are saying that, but some people don't know Some people don't know uh, anything but what they've always known. And in some of those neighborhoods, that's what they've always known. And you have taken the demographics and actually the income levels of certain neighborhoods, and that's how you've developed your pricing structure. I just think that that's that's really genius because, um, you know, sometimes people work and then they don't necessarily live right where they work, right? They have to go to somewhere more affordable. And uh, I want to say that $20,000 a year, uh, that in LA uh, doesn't go nearly as far. I'm from the Southeast United States. We we can make that go a little further. So, you know, just thinking about uh, the location too, that really even skews that amount of money down further as far as the buying power that were afforded to some of those people. So really hit the messages that you're really starting where the biggest need is. And um, that's really where you've gone. Now, these chef prepared meals. So so the education piece, I know, is important, too, because that people didn't even know what a chef prepared meal was. I mean, they always lived on what was there. Fast food was available. You know, the the fatty snacks were available and, and those kind of things. So that's also a piece of what you do, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but also we make meals and can collaborate with meals and that are culturally competent or, you know, that people are familiar with. Right. So we have partnerships. We have a partnership. Uh, we started a couple of years ago, years back uh, with a social enterprise called homeboy and homegirl industries. And we created a salmon adobe meal with them. We had, a, we have a meal with a, a food truck company called trap kitchen and we created a curry chicken meal. So it was also about creating ingredients and dishes that are familiar to the communities that we're in. Yeah. I think what I've learned, what I've learned and what Sam learned when he was with Feast, but previous to being working with Every Table, I was actually with American Heart Association um, as a chef instructor and teaching young people how to eat healthier, how to cook healthier in the same community. And it was serendipitous. That's how Sam and I actually met. But what I learned pretty quickly, Pam, is that education and awareness is is just one piece of the puzzle. People are aware in some cases of healthier ingredients and eating healthier. But if you don't have access to it, if it's not in your immediate uh, neighborhood or community, and what is is an abundance of fast food and other processed food, more than likely that's what you're going to consume. You know, what the difference is in more medium and more affluent neighborhoods is that you just people just have more choices. They still eat fast food, but they have more choices, right? So there may be a McDonald's or a Burger King, but there's also a Trader Joe's, there's a Whole Foods, there's all these other places where you can access stuff. Um, And then the affordability piece is a big thing. Like you said, LA is obviously one of the most expensive places to live in the country and everything is going up except for wages. Food costs are going up. Wage, I mean, uh, housing is going up. So people, their incomes are squeezed. And so oftentimes it's a decision on, am I going to buy groceries or am I going to pay the light bill? And we understood that as well. And so we wanted to make our meals you know, like we said, price to the communities in which we're in so we could people could access it and we could provide that value. Uh, That's culture, right. culture is another thing, right? Like we're influenced by how we grew up, what we grew up eating. So there's all these different things that influence uh, a person's ability to eat healthier. And so 
we, Sam, you know, spending time at Feast and then my, me spending time at American Heart Association and being in the community, we understood all of these things that people were facing. Absolutely. Well, now tell me a little bit about your your cooking and then distribution model, because that's very well thought out as well. Yeah. And so that was a part of in the creation, Sam, and then our former co-founder, uh, David, really spent a lot of time, maybe a couple of years or a year or so, really understanding like why is fast food in a lot of cases cheaper? And so what they or CPG companies as well. And so what they they have this incredible economies of scale where they have manufacturing in you know different cities across this country, usually in middle America, where they're producing the food, massive amounts of food. And then they're also, because uh, they're making so much, they have the ability to negotiate the prices and get those prices as down as cheap as possible. And then they pass that savings over to the consumer. If you look at the actual units, in a lot of cases, they're not really cooking. Stuff is coming already prepared, right? Uh, and they're heating it up or frying it. And then from a CPG standpoint, they're creating products that can be on the shelves for years at some in some cases. So that's another way they're able to you know, save money and sell stuff at a cheaper price. So what we did is we just took that model and flipped it. And so, for example, here in Los Angeles, we have a 30,000 square foot facility, a commissary, as some would call, where we're procuring all the food there. We're packaging the food. We're cooking it every day. Like I said, um, just so just think of a large, a really massive catering company with, you know, all this industrial cookware, but we're cooking it fresh. And then we're packaging, like I said earlier, and then we're distributing it ourselves as well. Uh, and then we could we distribute it to our stores. We also have a subscription model. So all of those things that we're doing in-house allow us to make meals right now at an average cost of about $3.30 per meal and then sell them at six to nine. And so what we hope to do is one day as we continue to grow, you know, work to get those costs down and make meals even cheaper and then be able to pass that savings down to the consumer as well. So maybe we'll have meals one day at four to five dollars per meal that are fresh. But like I said, it's scratch cooking. So everything yes. is prepared, you know, every day around the clock. It's amazing. Now I would, I would absolutely, if that was available near me, take advantage of that service. That's a that's a great value. But you don't just go to the neighborhoods where the need is. I mean, you're also servicing other neighborhoods because because like we talked about, some people from the lower income uh, neighborhoods might work in the other neighborhoods, for example. And so you're still giving them access to good food, but you're not just discriminating. (laughs) Anyone who wants to buy your food can buy your food, right? Oh, exactly. About 36% of our stores are in underserved neighborhoods. The other are middle to, to high income. And so what we learned since we've been doing this since 2016, we've been able to learn a lot, obviously, and learn something every day. But what we learned is that, like you said, so if you look at a middle to higher income neighborhood, the value that we provide there is that they maybe have access to a lot of healthier food, but not at the price point that we have. Uh, and then to your earlier statement, I've been in stores you know, in underserved neighborhoods where people work in those areas. And they said, so glad that you're here. Previous to this, you know, we all we had was the fast, unhealthy food that we would be able to to eat or I'd had to bring my own lunch. And so Mm -hmm. now I have another option that I know that is healthier and better for me, but also we can't beat the price. Right. So that's something that we're really proud of. Yeah, you really can't beat the price. Uh, Not only that, but you've gone through the process and it's a long process to get B Corp certified for those 
of our audience who might not be familiar. Can you just give a brief overview of that? What a B Corp is, if uh, the greatest example I've given, people are familiar with like a Patagonia. It's basically where you are actually in your charter of your company and your organization and articles of your company, you have a social purpose that you're going to accomplish. So we are a for-profit, but we're actually obligated to provide a social well-being or a social cause within community and within the country where we do business in the United States. And then we're in Los Angeles right now and then New York. And so that is what our mission statement is, right? To provide nutritious food, make it affordable and accessible for all. So it's a really a great model. It's been around for a while. Most people are familiar with Patagonia, but um, it's given us, uh, it's, held, it's hold, keeping us, holding us accountable to, to what our mission is, but it also makes us attractive to the philanthropic world because we're a model that is for profit, but is also doing good in the world. And so- that's right. how we've been able to access different different forms of capital as well. Right. And that's that's really exciting. But not only that, so you have the the food side of it and the stores, you're doing the chef, fresh chef prepared meals for the people, but also you're trying to give the people who normally wouldn't have some opportunity in the business world a leg up. And that's that's a big part of what you're doing right now with social equity franchise. And what is that? Yeah, thank you, Pamela. So that's how uh, my entree into Every Table uh, two and a half years, almost three years ago. I mean, we understood, as you talked about, as you talked about earlier, just income levels, we understood that at the root of food insecurity is economic insecurity. And so we pushed ourselves even further around 2018, Sam started to really look at the franchise model, just overall franchising has been around forever. You know, people are familiar with some of the larger ones, but what we found out and what we knew is that traditional franchising, oftentimes you have to have access to a significant amount of capital or you have to have a significant amount of net worth. So if you're talking about the more popular brands on the high end, you know, you have to spend or have at least spend spend at least 1.5 to 2 million to open up a single franchise and maybe have to have a net worth of a half a million. On the lower end, 20 50,000, $60,000, uh, which is still a significant amount of money for most people. I know I don't didn't have access to that money within my family coming up um, and I have my own business catering company for a number of years. Uh, and then you're not going to necessarily get access to a traditional bank uh, loan because you just don't may not have the experience. And so, like we said, like I said earlier, as we are a company that's rooted in equity, we understood, so we started to say, how can we play a part in the franchise industry and create opportunities for our internal talent to become owners and have a pathway to ownership that would create economic mobility and eventually and hopefully generational wealth, right? So really getting at that racial wealth gap that exists in this country and has for a number of decades uh, through the franchising model. So like I said earlier, with Sam's experience in running Feast and nonprofit, he understood and started to research and found out about uh, a model called or a funding model called PRIs, which stands for Program Related Investments, that says foundations can actually invest in for-profit companies, they don't have to be nonprofits as long as they are a social enterprise or a public benefit corporation and have a mission that's aligned with whatever that foundation is. So he started to do the work and started to knock on doors and was able to secure a PRI for 1.5 million in 2000, late 2018 from the Kellogg Foundation. 
not only were they attracted to every table as a company and what we were doing to get at the food affordability and access issue, but they were really excited about this concept of social equity franchise. And at that time, it was just a white paper, right? And so we subsequently, through the years, currently we've been able to raise almost $11 million in capital and PRI and grant. And so what that does, Pamela, is that subsidized and eliminates that upfront cost that you have to get into that most franchises have, right? So you can get into an every table social equity franchise program or store without any money upfront and then no net worth. If you go through the training successfully, you can own an every table without any out-of-pocket capital and then just pay us back on the back end once you become an owner and start to create profitability for your store and yourself. I think that's part of the key is that you know these people. Like it's it's such a great idea and a great deal that that people who are interested in franchising would be beating your door down because it's just not to have to have the net worth or put all that capital up or get loans or however you're going to fund that. But you're not just handing that out to anybody that shows up at your door. They're internal people right now that you know and are already working in your mission, right? Exactly. So you have to be, you have to work for every table as a store manager. And then once you get successful as a store manager, we have benchmarks and assessments and once you once you hit those, then you enter to what we call Every Table University, which is the leadership and franchise training piece of it. And then once you get through that successfully, then the franchise agreements are drawn up and you you get into an Every Table location. And we do that. We do that together. So we don't put a person in a store that may be 50 miles away from where they live and they don't know the community. Uh, sure, so we make that decision yeah. together. And it's also, and these are also stores that are already opening, open and operating. And so we're transitioning those from corporate stores to, to social equity franchise stores. And as we grow, this program grows. Right now we have our first five that'll be franchisees in the next 60 days. And okay. we are slated to have another 60 to 65 within the next couple of years. So as we grow further down the line, those will probably be stores that may be brand new stores, but right now they're taking over stores that are already been open for a year or a year and a half and that have proven successful already. Right. What a, um, you know, good stewards of what you've been given to be able to then, you know, help the other people that want to have their own business and are willing to put in the work and have the wherewithal and, and they're willing to be educated and, and learn how to do it the right way. And you're giving them that training and uh, setting them up. I just think that's a great mission. So I'm looking forward to watching. You have a pretty steep growth curve that you're planning. I mean, five in the next 60 days, that's a lot for one, but then 60 to 65 in the next couple of years, that's a lot as well. So I, I hope that all goes as you are planning. And I'm looking forward to watching that, watching that happen. I think that's going to be, that's going to be really cool moving forward. Yeah, and, and and I would just like to say, Pamela. I mean, it's it's it works both ways, right? If you look at any company that's going to be successful long term, you really have to invest in people, right? And so we couldn't do this; we wouldn't be here at all if it wasn't for talented people, hardworking and talented people. All we're doing is is recognizing that and creating a pathway for you know ownership, and then what we hope is generational wealth. But it goes both ways. Like you can't grow a company of any large scale significance, or even a small company. If you think of one restaurant, how many people work and go into creating a successful just one unit? A lot, 
dishwashers to the chef to the cook to the front of the house like so none of this is done without a team a great team and developing that team and so we recognize that as a company and mm. that's, that's just what is in our dna really cool i just love that all right so we've talked about the chef made meals we've talked about your your business model even though it's a for profit it has a very nonprofit feel i will say mm. because it's so mission driven the uh, social equity franchise program is really great. And that's that's really your philanthropy, honestly. But then your stores, you use the word store, but I would love for you to define that for our audience because it's not a traditional store like some of us would think about, you know, as as you think about what people can do that come there. Yeah, it's a little bit nuanced. Our only difference is, and this is something that also helps us to be able to create prices at at affordable at the affordable piece where where it is, is that we don't have any kitchens in our stores, or you're not making the food in the store. But it is a store where people come in, so we have highly branded and re- really pretty branded refrigeration area where the food is, and it's broken up in categories. So you have your hot bowls or plates, salads, smoothies. We also we have breakfast. We also just launched a sandwich line a couple months ago, and so these are all within the refrigeration unit branded areas and labeled with the cost and the name of the product. And customers come in, and we have seating, so customers come in, they can sit down and have the meal there, or they can take it to go. So we're just meeting the customers wherever they are. So it's a couple of different ways people interact with us. Some people come in, they have time, they'll pick a meal, we'll ring them up. And then if it needs to be heated, we have heating units so we can heat the food up. And then once it's ready, we bring it to the table and they sit down and they eat there. Or if it's a salad, they just open it up and sit down immediately or a smoothie or something like that. We also have where people order via, they use DoorDash. So they may order on DoorDash and then somebody, a DoorDash driver will come and pick it up for them and deliver it to them. Some customers may live in the area, I mean, or work in the area or live in the area. They may order online through our website. And then we have an area that where we just put everything in their bag, put their name on it. They pay for it already. Once they come in, they just come up to the counter and then they say, hey, I'm here to pick up. Pamela's here to pick up. I ordered seven meals online, confirm it's in there, and then they walk right out the door. So people interact with us in a number of different ways. Uh, and so it's just, as we we understood, we just wanted to meet the customers wherever they are. But that's the only difference is that we just don't have a kitchen or people aren't cooking in, in, the, um, in those actual units. Right. No, you are meeting the customer exactly where they are and, and how they want to consume your product. They, if they want to stay and eat it, if they want to pick it up and go, if they want to order it online, if they want to have DoorDash deliver it, it just seems like you've taken away all of the obstacles and made it very easy to work with you. Yes, yes. Ease of ease of use is what we would say, right? Exactly. Because definitely you- during COVID, yeah, definitely worked out because people weren't able to sit down in places. So it definitely yeah. worked out well for us then as well. That's really that's really a nice thing, too, because sometimes uh, people are in a hurry or they're working multiple jobs. Like you said, they don't even have time to go to a restaurant and mm-hmm. have a nice meal. But but th- maybe they can make time for this. The food is is prepared, but it's fresh and, and they can it's just going to take a little bit less time and they can still experience have a nice experience without the cost of going to a nicer restaurant. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I just like to add. Yeah. And I've been saying I'm going to do be better at this. Uh, the food is delicious. 
Like if you're thinking, so for example, that adobe salmon, salmon, excuse me, roasted salmon meal with um, spinach, cauliflower rice, pickled onions for $9. Uh, you're talking about six, six to seven ounce piece of roasted salmon. Uh, I, I, if you go to sit down in a, a sit down restaurant, this is probably going to be a meal that's $20, $20 plus, right? Yes. Multiple times that. Is yeah. it dinner time? I'm getting hungry. <laughs> so we have our own fresh juices as well. So we have a oh. beet juice that oh. I grew up, my auntie would steam beets and I could not stand beets. And so <laughs> I would put them under the table and give them to the dog. I think that's what I used to do when I was little. Uh, but Is your auntie still alive? Is she going to no, hear? No, she's so <laughs> she doesn't know that I did this. God bless. Uh, but she, she was a great cook. later. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. But that that beet juice um, and it's combined with apples, oh. uh, beets are, as we know, really good for you. And mm-hmm. so like, we have some tasty, delicious stuff that our chefs, our chef team is creating, you know, every day. And so that is great. So great to know. I can't wait. Next time I'm in L.A., I have a brother in L.A. and I have a niece in New York. So yeah. I'm going to be going to both places. I'm going to have to seek out one of your stores and have yeah. a meal there. I'm very excited about the opportunity. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience, Bryce, before we go? The only thing I will. The last thing I would like to share is that I would just like to is I always try to lead people with, um, you know, action step. Um and I, and I think I would challenge those in the industry to really think about how their work uh, can contribute to a better society. I don't think it's just up to, as, as we've tried to prove, it's not just up to philanthropy to solve some of these heady issues that we have uh, within our world, our country, and with our society. And so I think that take a look at whatever industry you're in as we're talking about food, but even goes, I hope people will copy us beyond food, within food and beyond food, and really look at how can they create a more equitable and just society uh, in the work that they do and, it's, and not just put it on the hands of philanthropy? Uh, we've had our philanthropy partners have, have been a, a help, helped us a lot and able to do this. And that's a piece of what we try to prove with this model as well. Is in order to solve some of these things, you got to have a, a collaboration of both worlds coming together. So that's what I would just like to leave people with. Mm. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Bryce. And thank you for being on the podcast with us today. No, thank you, Pamela. I'm really honored to be here. Absolutely. And I want to thank our sponsor who makes this all possible, Farm to Plate, enabling better food supply chain management. You can find out more at farmtoplate.io. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 